0: Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now, get ready to think. Really quickly, I wanted to let you know about our Hammer and Anvil Society, which is starting our next round in early 2021. This is Our the Think Institute's elite cohort of discipleship that uh, really has the objective of encouraging, equipping, and engaging Christian men for Christ's mission. Our mission is to massively impact our cities for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to catalyze gospel movements and set up Great Commission outposts in your neck of the woods. And so if you're looking for an elite cohort, my, um, my friend Romy calls it a sinister saintly society if you're looking for something like that check out the hammer and anvil society stay tuned to all the stuff that we're putting out because very shortly i'm going to be putting out details and how you can join that and um when that's going to be getting started but that'll be getting started early 2021 into discipleship cohort it is going to be truly awesome now let's get into it today as we record this it is election day. This has been a long, seemingly endless election season, but this is the time when we citizens get to exercise our rights, rights that were hard won by warriors on the field of battle and which have been fought for and maintained through the valor and sacrifice of more warriors on more battlefields down through the decades and even the centuries. And like our rights, those battles have come with a cost. For many warriors, the cost has been post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Of course, PTSD is not limited just to veterans. It can come from any life-threatening event, and it's accompanied by physical effects on the body as well as effects on the brain. And the stark reality is that 7 to 8% of people will experience PTSD at some point in their lives. This means that we as Christians must know what the Bible says about PTSD and how to find hope and healing in the midst of it. And so to guide us towards a more biblical perspective of PTSD is former USMC infantry officer, Jeremy Stallnecker. Jeremy is the executive director of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He's dedicated to helping America's be- uh, military warriors and their families who are suffering suffering from the unseen wounds of combat, such as PTSD and trauma he is an iraq war veteran himself he's a former pastor he's a public speaker and he's the husband of suzanne and a father of four now today he works to reach the hurting and to provide the healing found in christ you can learn more about jeremy stalnecker's work with mighty oaks foundation at his website and without any further delay let's welcome jeremy Stallnecker to the think institute podcast jeremy welcome Thanks,
1: Joel. It's awesome to be with you. Been looking forward to this for quite a while. So thanks a lot for doing it.
0: Man, me too. And, um, you know, when I first got in touch with Gabe Wrench from yep. uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast Conference, mutual yep. friend of ours, he, he I was talking with him about having him come on the ThinkPod and he said, man, Yes, but you've got to have my friend Jeremy on, and uh, he started. I hope to, I don't disappoint him. Well, you know what? He started to explain the work, and I've been checking out your website and what you guys do. And um, man, I I just knew this was not only an important conversation to have, especially at this particular time, but that you were the right person, the right man to bring on. And so well, I appreciate uh, it. And today being election day, have you have you voted? Do you vote? I do,
1: and I have. Yes. And um, I'm very okay. thankful for the opportunity to do it, and um, really praying that uh, God will do what God does. So yeah, Man. it's been Amen. a crazy, it's been a crazy time. And it, it's funny you can talk about the sovereignty of God, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I'm still anxious like everyone else <laughs> uh, because the consequence is going to mean something, right? So yeah,
0: that's right. If it didn't, we wouldn't vote, and there wouldn't right. be such such controversy over it. That's yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So um, tell us about your background, if you would, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, how did you you're you're a veteran. How did you go from um, being in the military in the USMC yep. to where you are now, starting Mighty Oaks?
1: Yeah, so I was um, I was raised in a pastor's home, and uh, I like to always start there because you know it frames kind of my life. I always joke that the thing you learn being raised in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one thing everyone learns. Right. Uh, so I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was probably 14 years old. Uh, hey, Dad. I know you're a pastor, and because of that, everyone thinks I'm going into the ministry, but would you be okay if I didn't become a pastor like you? Mm. And then my dad said, What every good pastor dad should say son, do whatever God wants you to do. That's the most important thing you can do. Mm. I said, Dad, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think God wants me to enlist in the Marine Corps. He said, Son, there's no way God wants you to enlist in the Marine Corps. You can't <laughs> possibly be. You missed it somehow. Um, but uh, yeah, through a series of events, I went to college and um, was commissioned. Uh, as an infantry officer uh, back in 1999 uh, i was a peacetime military but i was just thankful to do the job that i had always wanted to do and as everyone listening knows in uh, january of 2003 uh, first marine division deployed to kuwait to eventually push into iraq my infantry battalion first battalion fifth marines was the marine infantry battalion that breached the berm between kuwait and iraq we secured Mm. the southern objective in iraq the southern amalia oil fields first kia of the war was one of our marines lieutenant shane childers Mm. um and then from there we pushed north the battle of baghdad if you go back and look at it uh look at that period of time the battle of baghdad on april 10th of that year was our battalion as well um so that's what we were involved in and you know for me that was and it sounds strange to say this. A lot of people don't understand this. But um, for me, that was the fulfillment of a lifelong dream to to be a Marine, to be an infantry Marine. And then beyond that, to lead Marines in combat, that's, you know, really the dream. That's what we had trained for and worked for and planned for. Mm. And uh, I was thankful to be able to do that. Um, came home from from Iraq. And a month later, I had transitioned out of the Marine Corps. And that's another story. But the peacetime nature of the military um, as much as I love being a Marine, I didn't want to continue to serve in peacetime. It's it's training, it's mm. spinning your wheels. It's like practicing and never getting to play. Right. Um, so meanwhile, my family and I had been attending a church in, uh, in the town where we were living. Um, it was a church just getting started. It was exciting. God was doing great things. The pastor said, if you ever decide to get out of the Marine Corps, uh, I'd love to bring you on. And so um, it, it's a crazy the way the timeline works, you know, and if, and if it hadn't worked out this way, I wouldn't have done it. But um, in November of 2002, I said, I'm going to transition out in July of next year. So if you have a place for me on the staff, I'd love to take it. He said, we will. And then everything changed. We ended wow. up in Kuwait, ended up in Iraq and uh, came home. So literally a month after we touched down at March Air Reserve Base here in Southern California, uh, I was out of the Marine Corps and working on a church staff. Um, wow. so crazy transition and, uh, you know, everyone has their story. Mine is, is just mine, but, uh, went from having been raised in a pastor's home. So I understand ministry. I know church life. I know what that looks like, um, to now working at a church and I was absolutely miserable. I was, uh, I was angry. I caused a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, I caused problems on the church staff. I caused problems at home. Um, you know, I say this and this is not a, a joking statement. It's, it's only the grace of God and the love of my wife that she stayed with me through that, you know, first year for sure. Um, I was just so frustrated. There's so much that goes into that. The transition was a big part of that. Um, having led Marines in combat, and now I'm at church trying to get volunteers to do what they signed up to do. It was just a very, very frustrating time for me. I'm looking over my shoulder all of the time.
0: Mm.
1: And-, uh, Why, is and that?
0: Why were you looking over your shoulder?
1: Um, looking over my shoulder to what I had done. Uh, felt Feeling like what I did was really important. We went into a country, we got rid of a dictator. Uh, They're in the process of setting up a new government, and now I'm doing things that have zero value at all, right? And that wasn't true, but that's how I felt. And, and, you know, we could talk about identity, and I think identity is a big part of of trauma and certainly post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder, but my identity was so firmly grounded or rooted in who I was as a United States Marine. Um, You know, when I was 14, I told my dad, this is what I want to do. The wheel started kind of moving that direction. Uh, I went to college. I I have a criminal justice degree because my dad said I had to go to college and I needed to study something for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all I wanted to do is be a Marine. I was led in combat, and that's, that's how I defined myself. So even though now I'm working in a church setting with a pastor that loves me and staff members that were my friends before I went on staff there— mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't stop looking back going, that was more important. That's where I should be, Mm -hmm. you know, and all that. And then uh, about seven months after I left, our battalion went back to Iraq. Um, Some of your listeners uh, would be familiar with the first battle of Fallujah. Mm -hmm. Um, That was our infantry battalion. So I'm at home (laughs) um, working at the church and uh, hearing, you know, there's email and there's other ways to communicate, getting reports that some of our our guys had died and some of the things that happened there. and. Man, I just felt so lost and so frustrated, and and uh, that frustration became anger, um, and really blaming everyone else for how I felt and what I was experiencing. It's everyone else's fault. Um, but at the end of that time, so that took about a year. That was about eleven months. Uh, my pastor called me into his office and said, "Look, I, I don't really understand what's going on, but." You have to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, I'll help you find a new job somewhere else. But this is just not working. And you were on staff at the church. I was on staff at the church. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was, as a young church, growing church. So I was hired under kind of the guise of, we need someone to do project stuff. Not, okay. not like ministry stuff per se, but run projects. We're moving into a church building. You know, there's all this stuff that needs to be managed. Why don't you come do that? Um, because we were a local church in a military community, I quickly became like the counseling young military couples guy,
0: hmm.
1: which was crazy. I was 26 years old. I had no education in counseling. I had no Bible training other than, you know, what I learned at home. Yeah. Um, and my marriage was not doing well. I mean, we were in a bad place and now I'm trying to help, you know, young couples navigate the difficulties of married life. Man. Um so you know, in all of that, my pastor called me and was like, "Man, this isn't working. We've got to figure something out." And here's what I want you to do. <laughs> this was a Friday. He said, "I want you to get your wife, go somewhere, come back next Friday, and tell me what you decided." So we uh, we got in in the car, dropped my kids off. Uh, they were little. Dropped my kids off and drove up the coast of California for about a week and uh, talked and prayed and and I came to the point of understanding it was really a beginning for me, but the point of understanding that what I was experiencing, uh, the frustration, the anxiety, the, the, the anger, all of that, that, that was not someone else's fault. That was my fault. That was my responsibility. And instead of blaming everyone else for everything that was going on in my life that I didn't like, I needed to take responsibility and begin to move forward. And um, man, we, we say this in our program that what we strive to do is to get people to make a decision to get up off the ground and begin moving into the purpose for which they were created. Mm. And and that for me in 2003, um, you know, mighty Oaks wasn't even a thing, but that was, that was a moment I made a decision to get up and move forward. Now it it took a lot of years. I I always, I always say, it took me about a year to get on my feet, move forward. My wife says it took us about 10 years to get on my feet, move (laughs) forward. Um, it took a long time, but that was the decision that allowed me to go forward. And, And in that process, um, I think God really, you know, was able to use me, um, started, like I said, doing counseling. I read a lot. My dad's a pastor, asked a lot of questions and got counsel from other people, um, began to really study, began to teach and preach a little bit and really get involved in ministry. And, and God laid a, a, desire for ministry on my heart. Um, you know, people talk about being called to preach and that's a, that's a phrase people use. I, am not even sure exactly what that means all of the time. Um. But uh, I believe God did call me or lay a call on my life to communicate the gospel, the truth uh, to other people. And uh, whether that's writing or speaking or preaching or doing, you know, shows like this, whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and God was able to do that once I made a decision to move forward for him. Wow. And uh, in the process, um, you know, again, crazy things happen. I never wanted to be in ministry. Five years after getting out of the Marine Corps, I was pastoring a church in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area of all places. And uh yeah God really used that of course in our lives and, you were the yeah, lead
0: you were the lead pastor
1: I was yeah it uh, turns out that when a pastor or when a church is having a hard time uh, they don't really care who comes <laughs> so, so I was that guy um, I came recommended uh, again my education was uh, I have a liberal, liberal arts education um, my Bible learning, my preaching all of that is just it's it's not self-taught obviously a lot of people have poured into my life but uh, it's not formal in that sense it was a small church um, just outside of Oakland that was really having a hard time and they needed someone. And uh, again, God kind of lined the pieces up and that's where we went and served there for seven years, Uh, pastored for seven years. Um, And we could talk about that all day long, but uh, in that process, um, uh, one of my Marines that I had served with reached out to me and said, Hey, I met this guy. (laughs) He's starting this program. It's called Mighty Oaks. I don't know what it is. It's a Christian program. He's a Christian. Um, he can't get veterans to attend. So he asked me if I knew some people that would come. And that was the first time in 10 years I'd talked to anyone from, you know, from those days, I walked away from the Marine Corps. I was past it. I'm not going back. And, uh, so that's how I was introduced to mighty Oaks, uh, Chad Robichaux is the founder. He, he and his family, they have an incredible story. Um, came to Christ in the process of recovering from combat trauma and all of his deployments. Uh, knew that he wanted to communicate that to others and help other veterans, didn't know exactly how, and just started. Um, mm. and so, you know, in the process of starting, he was getting started. Uh, we met, and uh, he said, Hey, I, I, I know what I want to do. Um, th- the ministry part, I'm not sure on, I don't know how to do all of that. Would you help me with this? And and uh, since 2012, we've been uh, we've been working on that together and, and building that. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing. I mean, in the beginning, we were. Practically begging veterans to attend. And uh, now, um, you know, this many years later, we've had 4,000 students come through our week long programs. Um, All veterans or? Veterans, active duty service members, and first responders. Yeah. Okay. So, first and responders, you, too. Yeah. That's a, again, that's a, a man, a great conversation. But uh, yeah, God opened the door for us to have first responders attend. That wasn't our target. But, um, some some folks came to us and said what you do and what you deal with is so similar to what many of our first responders are dealing with can you can you bring them into your program and so we did so yeah uh, more than 4000 folks have come through men and women and then we have the opportunity to speak at uh, the, the military has resiliency conferences suicide prevention conferences a lot of different things and god has opened some amazing doors it, it, it's an incredible thing and i could talk a long time on any one of these topics but i'm sure in the, yeah in the beginning when we started people told us, if you guys hang on to this faith piece, if you continue to talk about God and having a relationship with Christ and all of that, if you hang on to that, you will never have access to the active duty military. They just won't let you in. And that's a a line a lot of people believe. Um, We've spoken between Chad and I to uh, nearly 150,000 active duty service members. Most of those at base events, Um, uh, Chad speaks at MCRD, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, uh, boot camp uh, every quarter. Uh, we're constantly speaking at active duty units and active duty events. They say bring a secular message, which we say okay. <laughs> but in the process of presenting a secular message, you know, one of hope and healing and purpose and direction, and you can go forward. Uh, we always tell our story, and that story is a story that is Christ is the reason we were able to move forward. Hmm. And uh, it's been it's been amazing to see what God has has done and and how He's used that. So. Um, so that's Mighty Oaks. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the genesis of it all. And that's my story. But, uh, you know, it's, it, we're in an organization where there are thousands of stories like that one, uh, broken searching, don't know what the, what the course is or where the hope is found. And, um, you know, God opens the door and we're able to present that. So, uh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. It's amazing, to be, amazing to be a part of it,
0: man. That's really incredible. So I'm, I'm pulling up the website here so people can, can check it out. It's yeah, at, awesome yeah uh you can see right on the website it says veterans, first responders, active duty and um, you know, I'm just wondering, I mean, I want to get into what PTSD is and how the Bible deals with it and helps bring healing. Yep. Did your degree in law enforcement did that uh, give you uh, any kind of in or affinity toward first responders or is that was that just really just sort of a placeholder for what you wanted to do later?
1: yeah so you know my dad said you need to go to college there's a christian college that has a liberal arts program that's where you need to go once that happens once you're done once you graduate you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. so i thought if the military doesn't work out then law enforcement makes the most sense for me that's why i studied criminal justice um but there's you know between my graduation from college and getting involved with veterans there's 10 years of time and so no, I don't think so. It's it's a love for people who have served and are serving our community. Okay. It's understanding the warrior mindset and ethos and what they and their families deal with. So that bridge between veterans and first responders is, it's not a, you know, it's not huge. It's It makes so much sense when you really look at it that way, you know, from that perspective of these are folks who are going out there and doing what we need them to do for us on our behalf and there are consequences. Okay. And so, Yeah. It's a natural fit for sure.
0: Okay, so could you talk to us a little bit, Jeremy, about what is PTSD? What is post traumatic stress disorder? Yeah. And also, I noticed on the website as well that the D is not capitalized. If you yeah. could maybe just explain why that is and why this is not just a veterans issue.
1: Yeah. So some statistics. You said you mentioned this earlier. Seventy percent. I've these written down. Seventy percent of adults in the U.S. have experienced some type of trauma or traumatic event in their lives, 70% have experienced trauma. And, you know, these are people doing research. These are the same people, incidentally, who do polls. So (laughs) call these things into question, right? Sure. Um, But it's a lot of people, I I would say, and I do say that anyone who's lived more than a minute uh, has experienced Mm -hmm. some degree of trauma. Now, what is the degree? Um, But we're told that seven out of eight, um, seven or eight out of every 100 will have PTSD at some point in their lives. Eight million adults have PTSD in the United States. At any given point in the year, uh, 10 out of every women, uh, 10 out of every 100 women develop PTSD. Um, and the prevalence of PTSD among veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan is 13%. So it's it's slightly higher than, than the population. Mm. Um, so it's very prevalent. And when we talk about trauma, and this is why I think it's such a great conversation. And uh, I, I mean, frankly, this is why I'm so glad you're willing to have this conversation. Because a lot of people aren't because they look at it as a veteran problem. Right or a military problem. And a lot of people will say, well, we're, we're sympathetic toward that, but uh, you know, such a small percentage of the population, that won't impact us. Uh, every pastor <laughs> listening has people in their church who are dealing with post-traumatic stress, yeah. um, who have had severe trauma take place in their lives, and they're trying to figure out how to move forward. Uh, this is absolutely not a veteran issue. It's, it's a life issue. It's a human issue. Um, we look at the Bible, and I love to go to some of the examples of Scripture. I, I mean, think about you know some of the big stories, right? We love Noah and the ark. Uh, he built an ark, and it was amazing. Can you imagine me locked up in that boat as the water begins to rise and your friends and community members are banging on the doors of the Ark or banging on the side of that wood, perhaps are scratching to get in. You're hearing their screams. You're you're, uh, from the inside helpless to do anything about it, but it's happening around you. You're locked inside with a small group of people and eventually you get out to nothing. (laughs) Right, I mean, think about the trauma on the other side of that. We we throw rocks at Noah for uh, some of his uh, post-flood behavior, and, yeah, the drunkenness, yeah, and and I'm sure that's valid. It's sinful, and we should never um, minimize sin. But think of the trauma that he and his family had to deal with. I mean, it's it's incredible trauma. We look at uh, you, you know Moses and some of the the traumatic events he had to lead millions of people through, watching uh, you know millions of folks that he cared about die. Watching uh, event after event after event that was overwhelmingly traumatic. We, we look at David, the great warrior in scripture. Um, many of the Psalms we can go back to because we know when they were written or following the event that he wrote them. Uh, was a traumatic event and he's pouring his heart out to God. He's saying things like, uh, I, I, I cover my bed in tears. I feel like I'm swimming in my own tears. My bones are dried up. I'm crying out to you because I'm so overwhelmed and we could walk through scripture. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, <laughs> uh, read that through the eyes of trauma. Um, these wow. are people who were extremely traumatized. My favorite part of that tra- chapter is the end of Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, and then there were others. We don't know their names, um, but we do know they were sawn asunder. They wandered in the wilderness naked. They were waiting for the faith, the hope that would come. Wow. Traumatized people. And then we're told because of what they did to run the race that's set before us. And then we think of Jesus Christ, you know, and and he's God. I, I get that. But the trauma that he endured uh, to the point of sweating drops of blood, of crying out to his father, of hanging on the cross for a creation that was murdering him. Trauma is a part of the human condition, and it's throughout scripture I think we've done a disservice to much of this conversation when we make it a modern issue or a mental health issue. Um, Trauma is real, but there is hope on the other side of it. And so uh, understanding that is very important. Now, clearly, those who have been to combat and done and seen and experienced some of the things that we do in combat um, brings existing trauma to the surface. I think that's what actually happens much of the time, but they are very real traumatic events uh, that many others would not have to deal with. And so it's very real. Um, but the fact that we experience trauma and experience symptoms related to those traumatic events, uh, sleeplessness, dreams, uh, anxiety, anger, frustration, loneliness, isolation, many of those those uh, symptoms we would call them, but many of those things that we do on the other side of trauma, as real as those are, as real as the trauma is, as real even... Um, biologically as the impact may be, knowing that does not cause us to be disordered. And and that's a great place to start in this conversation. If you are broken, there is no hope. (laughs) Mm. And what we're seeing today around the conversation, particularly in the military community, the veteran community of post-traumatic stress disorder, we're seeing men and women who have experienced trauma and then take that trauma on almost as a badge of honor or as a reason to not move forward in their lives. They Mm. continue to point back to a traumatic event. Why? Because we've said you've experienced trauma, and because of that, you're disordered. That disorder needs to be treated clinically, perhaps with medication or something else. But it's something that will last forever because now you're broken. And if you're broken, there's no hope to move on. If you're broken, there is no healing there's there's no path forward the best you can do is manage your brokenness and so when you see anything that we write that has post traumatic stress disorder ptsd the d is always small we wrote a book called the truth about ptsd which if folks are interested they can find that on our website but the truth about ptsd again the d is small what's the truth <laughs> it's not hopeless you're not disordered you're not broken there is hope in christ um but all of that being said and that was a lot of words um, all of that being said it is real. And um, there is a a real clinical definition. Um, I always read it because it's it's a clinical definition, right? Um but dsm five, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual version five, which is the most recent version, it's being updated to six right now. It's the manual that describes mental disorders for uh, you know the clinical world, defines uh, post-traumatic stress, and I have the uh, definition because I like to uh, to read it. Hold on. <laughs> exposure to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence. That's the uh, clinical definition. It's exposure to death, threatened death, actual, threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence. And and that's that's that. the
0: definition of of what. Uh, that's the definition. Post-traumatic
1: of stress. Post-traumatic
0: disorder. stress.
1: Okay, stress. and then the disorder is the consequence of that, of those, of those things.
0: But the stress, the stress, is what you experience after you've gone through those things, correct?
1: Right. So the stress comes as a result of those things: De- okay. uh, exposure to death, threatened death, actual or threatened violence, sexual uh, or sexual violence. Yeah. And 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 so the reason I, I read that first, that definition first, is because I think in a lot of ways it's not helpful. Um, when we're having a broader conversation about post traumatic stress or trauma and, and all of those things, um, a good friend of mine who, who lives in this world, he's a chaplain, uh, he, he said this. He said, really, what um, PTSD is or what trauma is, <laughs> trauma is anything that pushes a person beyond their ability to cope. What is trauma? Trauma okay. is an event, but when we're looking at post traumatic stress, what we're talking about is an event or series of events that pushes a person beyond their ability to cope. The reason I like that definition is because it broadens it out. Because now when we're talking to people who have struggled with things, we're not um, uh, fighting the semantic argument over whether it is or whether it is not. Definitions are helpful. They're helpful if they create a bridge to healing. Mm -hmm. So if a definition... I have now defined the problem, creates then a bridge to healing. Since I've defined it, I can know what to do next. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. If a definition though silos people, so I, I fit the clinical definition, I can never get better, or I don't fit the clinical definition, so I guess I can't get help. Mm, right. Neither one of those things is helpful. Right. So when we're talking to folks, we try to, you know, again, acknowledge that you may have been clinically diagnosed with post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, But understand (laughs) that the problem is you experienced a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events. Maybe it was something in your childhood, maybe a relationship issue or issues, maybe combat, maybe all of those. But really where you find yourself is in a situation where you no longer have the ability to move forward in your life. Mm. So the question that we try to answer is that one. How do you, regardless of how you got here, begin to move forward in your life. And, um, you know, we're a non-clinical program. Uh, I'm for clinical programs. I'm even for uh, medications that help clear a person's mind long enough to get the help they need. The problem is (laughs) God created us to deal with trauma. God created us to remember traumatic events. God programmed through the limbic system of our brain into us the ability to remember traumatic events and Mm -hmm. to respond on a subconscious level so we don't get hurt again. If we were created that way, then we're not broken when it happens. And I could give examples of that, but we're not broken when it happens. So let's stop talking about the brokenness. Let's stop talking about how we got here and begin to talk about how we can move forward. And, and, um, you know, again, there are tools that can help. But at the end of the day, we have to move forward in a real
0: way. Okay. So you say that you, uh, Mighty Oaks is a non-clinical program. Can you just flesh that out? Does sure. that mean that you don't prescribe uh, medication? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, it means a, a
1: couple of things. One is medication. So we don't have clinicians. We don't have um, folks who are clinically trained or licensed. Uh, I mean, we, we do have folks like that who come to our program and who even help with it, but um, that's not what we do. We don't um, do uh, psychological um, therapy. We're not psychiatrists. We're not therapists. We don't prescribe medication. We don't do any of those things. So we don't approach any of it from a clinical perspective, the way the VA would, or a um, you know medical hospital, or a uh, a mental health institution would. Uh, we approach it non-clinically. So we say, all right, there is a clinical approach to this, and you know, for us. Most of the folks who come to our program have access to to clinical treatments, to therapists, to medication, to okay. you know all of those other things through the VA, and and much of the time, what they find is that those therapies are good at helping them manage the uh, stresses, the anxiety, the the issues that are brought about by their trauma, but but they don't solve the problem. Mm. Um, Again, if God has created within us the ability to deal with trauma, and he has, I mean, we see this again throughout scripture. We see this throughout life. We call to God as our hope. We find refuge in him. Um, If we then medicate away the emotion that comes with that trauma, we can never go through the process of healing. Right. So a lot of the clinical approach to post-traumatic stress or combat trauma or trauma in general, and I'm not against it. it's just not complete. A lot of what it does is it, again, helps manage or deaden the emotional response to that. Or, um, you know, as suicide rates amongst veterans has increased, uh, a lot of the medication is for the purpose of preventing a suicide. (laughs) But what that does is it numbs a person out so much that they never actually get better. They just Uh stop responding to the trauma they've experienced. Okay. Um, So when we say we're non-clinical, we talk about those things, we address those things, but that's that's not our path forward. Um, we look at it really from a creation standpoint. We ask the question, how were we created? And if there's a creator, then there must be a plan. Um, and so let's understand that plan and let's move into that.
0: Okay, that that actually makes a lot of sense. And man, that's really, that's pretty fascinating, Jeremy, As you, you think about if, um, if we, if we are the products of random chance and a universe that did not have us in mind, time right. plus chance over millions and billions of years, then there really is no reason to think that our minds, our brains are designed to be able to cope with stress, even, even yeah. very traumatic stress. But if God has created us with that, and not only that, but man, as you're going through these biblical stories, Noah, um, I've been reading through... Um, I've been reading through the Old Testament with my kids, my wife and I have. So we're, we're in second Samuel right now Mm. and we're reading through the life of David and brother, the stuff that David went through and, and, and the things that he saw as a warrior and as a king. I mean, there's a reason why the Psalms are so filled with tragic language. Yes. And, and how he, he eats his tears for his dinner and it's like, man. So trauma is clearly part of this world that's, it's post fall, but, but God designed us and he designed us, um, he designed us to live in this world. And it's, it's just an amazing thing to think about. He actually designed us to be able to deal with that stress. And, and that doesn't mean only dealing with it through medication as though we have to just sort of mute the effects. So you're saying we can actually be healed without, deadening our senses without just muting the effects, but actually find hope on the other side of that trauma. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So, so the word trauma, it comes from a Greek word, which means wound or to wound. Okay. Um, So that's what trauma is. It's a wound. It's a wound to our hearts. It's a wound to our soul. It's a wound to our emotions. It's a wound to our mind. And that wound can come from a lot of different places. So what we want to do is heal the wound. Now, often when a wound is healed, a physical wound, there is still a consequence to whatever caused the wound. If, you know, sure. the wound may heal, but uh, when it gets cold, you feel it in your arm, or maybe you've lost a limb and you have to deal with that. But but having experienced the wound doesn't mean that healing is not possible. And healing is absolutely possible. But again, it's understanding it from a creation standpoint. So here's a quick lesson, right? <laughs> uh, and it's real simple. We have in our brain, you know, different parts of the brain. There's the part that is conscious thought. You see something, you process what you're seeing, you make a decision about what you're seeing. That's there. It's a slow process, but it's a logical process. Um, It's one you train, it's one you teach. Then there's the subconscious that rests in what we call the limbic system. And the limbic system stores historic data. The limbic system stores traumatic events. And it does it for a reason. It does it to keep us safe. If um, if a young woman is walking down uh, a street and it's starting to get dark. It's not quite dark, but it's starting to get dark. She's walking past a fence. And maybe there's a board missing on the fence, but she keeps walking. She's not even thinking about it, but she's picking up all of this input. Maybe there's a street light that's flickering. And around the corner, she walks and she's assaulted. Hmm. That's a traumatic event. All of the information that was stored, even subconsciously up to that point, is stored in her limbic system. So the next time she walks down a street, as it's starting to get dark, not quite dark yet, her anxiety is going to go up. She won't even be able to explain to you why her heart rate will go up. She may start to sweat. Things are going to happen. She'll see a board missing in a fence. That's going to cause a problem, a flickering uh, light. It doesn't mean she's broken. That means that God created her with a a fail safe, (laughs) with a system that will prevent her from walking around the corner and being assaulted again. It's the same in combat. Now, the problem is when you misapply those things, um, you know, a friend in combat didn't move fast enough. And because they didn't move fast enough, a mortar round uh, fell close and killed them. Now I'm at home and my daughter's not moving fast enough, getting her shoes on for her soccer game. And I lose my mind, right? Because mm-hmm. our limbic system saying, Hey, there's a problem here. She's not moving fast enough. Someone's going right. to die. So there's a lot of, management that does need to take place clearly. And you need to recognize that when I'm in this situation, this is how I act. And when uh, I see this or hear this or smell this or feel this, things happen. You need to recognize that. But none of those things, uh, even though they may have a negative application, none of those things makes you broken. Uh, One of the things we we try to communicate is there is never an excuse for bad behavior. Hmm. What happened in your past the things that you're dealing with, the memories that you have, uh, even how you behave when you find yourself in a you know an unusual situation, none of that excuses bad behavior. God has a plan for your life, and you need to move into that. What we do, what we talk about, is understanding that the Creator has a plan, and that if we will align our lives to the plan He has for us, then the trauma doesn't go away, the memories aren't forgotten. But they no longer have a hold on us the way they used to because they don't define us anymore. Right. We're defined by the purpose we find in our creator, God, and what he has for our lives. We, we segregate our program, men's and women's programs, because we believe that God has a unique design for men. Uh, and men need to lean into that. I heard you talking before we started Uh, about getting, you know, godly men together who will lead in their communities. Uh, That's exactly right. And when you're leading into the purpose that God created you for, the traumas, the difficulties, the trials of the past, they're still there. But you heal to the point that they don't have control over you anymore. And in our women's program, what do we talk about? We talk about what it is to be um, the woman that God created you to be. God has a plan for your life. how can I move into that? How can I live the life that God created me to live? And that's, uh, it, it sounds so simple, but really that's the Christian life, isn't it? It's its yeah. understanding God has a plan. And when I lean into God's plan, then the habits, the hangups, the, the difficulties, the trials, they don't have control over me anymore. And that's what we work to
0: communicate. So this does sound simple. You know, it, it sounds like discipleship, Jeremy. It sounds like you're teaching people it's followers of Christ um to obey everything that Jesus has commanded yeah it's getting into is isn't that that's the mission of the church that's what we're supposed to be doing that's is, it is mighty oaks is it is it um is it a program for believers or yeah. is it okay is, is it evangelistic as well what if how many non-christians do you have going through the program okay so this
1: is what's great right <laughs> um So I was pastoring a church when Mighty Oaks was getting started. I started to get involved in Mighty Oaks. And, um, you know, I love seeing people come to know Christ through the ministry of the local church. I love discipleship and working there. But we started to work with more and more and more men and women who either said, I hate God, or I don't believe in God, or I've tried this or that. Nothing else is working. I don't think faith is the answer, but I have nowhere else to go. Right. So I would say... Uh, I, I don't know. Probably half of those now who attend our program are not believers. Not like, really? not like I'm. I'm trying to figure this out. We're not talking about seekers, right? We're talking about people who are like, yeah, no, no. I've been hurt by the church. I was, you know, raised in the church. I walked away from it. God allowed my friend to die. I hate God. Ugh. Whatever. Yeah. We have about seven out of ten, about seventy percent of those who attend our program will either make a decision for Christ, as in, you know. Repent, give their lives to Christ, um, or uh, have a re- rededication. I mean, you know that, yeah. understand that. They 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 can say, look, I accepted Christ many years ago. I've been far from him. And, um, you know, turn their lives around and begin moving forward. Um, we're not a program for Christians. In fact, no. um, one of the reasons we have access to the military is because we'll say, look, we approach this from a faith position. That's why we use the, the term faith, faith-based, super broad, right? Yeah, right. Um, it's faith-based. What does that mean? It means we have a, a specific avenue forward, but you don't have to believe anything if you don't want to. I mean, we have atheists, Buddhists, Satanists, <laughs> you name it. We've had just about everything attend our program. But most of the people who attend our programs have tried everything else. right? And so it's not that they're particularly interested necessarily in God. They just they just don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. So we start off our, our week with um, what we're going to do for you this week is our very best to help you contrast your life, the life you're living right now with the life we believe God created you to live. We believe there's a creator. If there's a creator, then there is a plan, Mm -hmm. right? He created us with purpose. He created us with meaning and value. Um, And so what we want you to do this week, this is all we're asking (laughs) is look at your life and contrast that with the life that we believe God has created you to live. Okay. The way we communicate that during the week is through testimony. Every one of our instructors, every one of the folks involved with our program have graduated from our program. So uh, they came as students in need of hope, help, healing, direction, purpose. And through a process of training, um, they now are leading teams, teaching classes. So they stand up and they say, look, I know where you are. I know what you're dealing with because I was there and not too long ago.
0: Um,
1: I don't have it all figured out, but let me tell you my story. And now, based on my story, whatever the topic of the class is, let me tell you how that connects to what we're going to talk about next. And so, it is very evangelistic and very much discipleship driven. Um, we, once someone graduates our program, we'll try to get them plugged into a local church, get them somewhere that they can grow. But the process of bringing folks back as team leaders and as instructors and you know involved in our program is a discipleship process. It's it's helping them grow and learn and understand, and get back to the place where they can then do that for others. So it's very much that process. Now we start very broadly. Um, I, I have taught our leadership. It's like a big funnel. Uh, I, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but it's a little bit of Jesus in the beginning uh-huh. and a lot of Jesus in the end. Okay. But, a, but a lot of these folks, if we start with a lot of Jesus, they're not going to listen to anything else that we say. Right. So we start with, this is my story. You have your own story, do whatever you want. Kind of that tone. Um, but by the middle of the week, it's a uh, Christ died on the cross for your sin. <laughs> and yeah. and this is the path of understanding that and entering into that. Um, and then, you know, it's five days uh, at the end of the week. We'll always baptize in a jacuzzi and a river and a lake, you a you know, whatever folks who have come to Christ. So, yeah.
0: This episode of the Think Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Culture Builders Facebook group. This is an amazing group filled with believers in Jesus optimistically working to create Great Commission hubs for the spread of the gospel, the furthering of Christ's kingdom, and the emergence of Christian culture in the world. We are working through the three spheres of authority, the family, the church, and the state to make it happen. Check out the group by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian Culture Builders. Okay, so... It's, it's one week. Is that right? The program is one week? It's one week. Yes. Okay. That seems incredibly short to me. It's in, am It's I, incredibly am I, short. Because <laughs> uh, I'm thinking what you were just describing, and maybe, maybe you said it earlier and I just missed it, but what you're describing, this radical transformation, you've got people coming in, you said 70% make, either new professions of faith or rededicate their lives to Christ. I'm thinking in my mind, Jeremy, I'm thinking this is a 12 week program. This is three months. This is six months. Maybe this is a year and a half. You're telling me this is one week and you're having that kind of result. Yeah. It's, it's
1: one week. And there, there are some reasons for it. Uh, You know, again, I come from the church world and um, I've had a lot of pastors ask me how they could duplicate that in, in the context of their church. And, um, My answer most of the time is I don't think you can, although we do men's events and we preach at a lot of churches and we see a lot of good things happen. But there there are some unique factors. Uh, One is they've tried everything else. Uh, Many of the folks who come to us will say either at the beginning of the week or the end of the week, uh, a lot of times at the beginning of the week, if this doesn't work, I have nowhere else to go. I will end my life. A lot of folks come to us having attempted suicide. Uh, many will get to the end of the week and say, uh, I didn't tell anybody this, but I was going to go home tomorrow and kill myself if this didn't work. Um, so, first of all, they show up desperate. They need something. They've tried everything else. <clears throat> so, they're in a place where they don't have anywhere else to go. And the entire thing is led by people just like them. Um, similar backgrounds, similar circumstance, similar, you know, <laughs> experiences. And so, it's it's all testimonial based. One of the biggest issues we have working with veterans is that they say things like no one understands what it's like to be me. No one gets this. No one's experienced this. So they don't get help. Well, now they're in a place where they're isolated. Uh, We have four facilities across the country. They're all ranches that are isolated from, you know, kind of the, the larger population. They're in the same team with the same group all week, 24 hours a day. Um, they're going through the classes whether they want to or not. They're having the discussions whether they want to or not. And really our goal, our focus is to back them into a corner where they understand there is hope, but I need to get up and start moving forward. And we pray they make a decision for Christ, but if they don't, we'll help them on the other side of that to get to a place where they can. But um, it, it, it is absolutely incredible. And, you know, folks ask, how does that happen? And I can explain what I just explained. But really, you have to watch it to to really see it unfold. But it's just the grace of God. And and people are at the end of the rope, man, and they just don't know where else to go. And we're saying, look, there is hope. (laughs) And there is a path. And it's not weird. And it's not you know whatever you think of when you think of church and Christianity. It's a God who loves you, a God who has a plan for you. And and that plan is not some big crazy ritual you need to undergo or some group you have to be a part of. It's simply saying, God... (laughs) You're it for me. And then begin from there. And and uh, it, it is amazing. Now, the challenge on the other side, you know, the discipleship challenge is, is what we call aftercare. It's getting those folks who have made a decision when they're with us. If you've ever been to youth camp, you know that everyone at camp oh,
0: yeah. makes a decision to be a pastor. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm a missionary today um partially because when i was 17 on a missions trip the the missionary we were serving with said stand up if you're willing at some point in your life to answer god's call he calls you and so (laughs) here i am now i'm a a support raising missionary so yeah those commitments do sometimes come to fruition but but please yes they they certainly do does that
1: yeah they certainly do but a lot of times they don't that's right Um, that's right and the folks that we're dealing with often you know they're They're supercharged to go back and fix their marriage, something they've done damage to for the last 10 years to, you know, deal with whatever substance has control over them and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we then do our best on the other side of that to help them navigate that. Now we say, here's, we want you to go home and do four things. The four B's (laughs) Um, Hmm. be in prayer, you know, talk to God, be in the word, let God talk to you Uh, be in fellowship. You need to find a local church. And during that, period, they're with us. Uh, we'll do our best to find them a church in whatever town they come from. Even if we don't know one, we'll read statements of faith and make phone calls and do our best.
0: Okay. So um, you do some homework with that. You we, connect we, them with a good church. Connect them with the church, <clears throat> excuse me, before they get
1: home. And then the last yeah. B is be in connection with what we call a corner man. It's, it's a, you know, a mentor, someone who can help you navigate these different things that you're dealing with in your life. And so that's, you know, that's the big fight after the program. But man, if we can get someone to, to make a decision and move forward, uh, we can do the rest. There's a lot of resources available, but but it's it's that get up and move forward. Don't let the trauma have control of your life anymore. Uh, yeah. Don't let it define you. Don't let it become the thing that you point back to as the reason for you know the brokenness in your life. Uh, let God do the work that He wants to, and we'll help you move forward from there.
0: Man, praise God. Well, that that's super encouraging, Jeremy. I mean, it's I the the results that you get are. Let me say they're. It's it's surprising and and very encouraging to me, but it's not really shocking because sure. that is exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ does.
1: That's right.
0: And I gotta say, I'm so encouraged because you know on on this show, on the Think Institute podcast, a lot of the stuff we put out, we really we we put the biblical worldview out front and say this is the consistent worldview. This yep. is the worldview that accords with reality. That's if right. you trust God's word the world will make a lot more sense. The fear of the Lord is the beginning sure. of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. And so here, now you come on the show with this this real world experiential um, practice. And you say, yes, if you apply the biblical worldview to yep. your trauma, to your PTSD, the Lord really will bring healing to you. Yes. He really does. He, he really does. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's astonishing. And yep. yet exactly what you would expect if God is real and if the Bible is true. And that's, that's redemption. I,
1: I, I love the word redemption. I love the concept of redemption. What does it mean to redeem? I mean, yeah. you know, this, everyone watching knows this, but to redeem is to place value where there once was no value, <laughs> right? That is redemption. That's I'm good. redeeming something. I'm, I'm making valuable something that once had no value. And so when we go through the process of saying, look, I know you're broken. I know you're hurt. I know this has happened to you. And, and on a side note, although we say we deal with trauma related to military service, a lot of the trauma we deal with, a lot of the trauma we deal with happened when they were children, happened Mm. in a relationship. They just never dealt with it. We know you're broken. And that may seem like the most valueless, Mm. uh, worthless thing in the world. But when you align your life to the life that God has for you, that's redemption. You're now adding value to what you thought was worthless. And oh, by the way, if you'll take that story, And you'll leverage it for, for others, the redemptive value of that. I mean, you, you, you've exponentially increased the value of the broken life that you once had. you met Jesus Christ and Christ now is using your story to add value to other stories. Um, and, and that is the gospel. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the great commission. That's what we're told to do. Go find people, introduce them to Jesus, teach them and send them. That's it. And, um, when you see it work, it's, you know, it's, it's the grace of God. It's, it's all about God's work in our lives and through us.
0: Amen. Are you okay to take a couple of questions? We did have a couple of questions come through. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so this one is from J E Myers and uh, it's a little bit of a long one. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Okay. Um, Here's what he says. This, this question came through on Facebook. He says, now um, as you, as you, as I read this, you're going to hear this is uh Definitely coming from Gabe Wrench's Facebook group. The <laughs> rowdy, rowdy Christian. Yes. <laughs> rowdy is going to be uh, in, in this. So J.E. Meyer says this. How are we that have been diagnosed with PTSD to live a triumphant rowdy Christian life when at all times you are mentally pulled toward isolation, non-participation, and antisocial tendencies? Also, how do we transition into a building mindset instead of a constant mm. fight mindset? How would you answer
1: that? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. Um, just watch Cross Politic a lot, and those guys will help you out. <laughs> Amen. Um, <laughs> uh, I I absolutely believe, and and you need to believe this. This is a starting point that if God still has you living on this earth, He still has a plan for your life. That that plan is not going to be outside of His revealed will in Scripture. And therefore, if God has called us to live a rowdy Christian life, to live a life that uh, makes noise and and sees things changing around us, that is the salt and light and culture that's carrying the standard forward. However, you want to frame that, then regardless of what's happened in your past, you can still do that. Um, so that's that's one thing. That's a, that's a starting point, right? right? Now, I don't want to I don't want to trivialize trauma either, and it can take I mean, it can take a lifetime to deal with trauma. But what you have to understand, and I, again, I don't want to trivialize it, but what you have to understand is that that trauma, although it exists, it's not going to go away. There are real physiological and, and biological and uh, psychological uh, consequences to trauma. Um, there are, are the tendency to isolate, as you mentioned, the the antisocial things, as you mentioned. The fact that you can identify those as a problem Man, that's huge. Identify them and then put yourself around people that are speaking truth. Uh, You know, the Apostle Paul said we're supposed to think on these things, things that are good and pleasant and right. Uh, Think on those things. Put yourself in a position where people are speaking life and truth into you. Be in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship. Surround yourself with people that can fill the gaps that you may not feel like you have the ability to fill. Um, I, I mean, that's a starting point and then lean into Christ. And again, I I don't say that in in a churchy way, lean into Jesus. God, what do you want me to do? And it's not going to be easy. Perhaps it's not going to be what's comfortable, perhaps. But if I believe you've called me to this, I'll get some people in my life that can help me get there. And I'm going to start moving forward. And uh, man, I had somebody ask me the other day in a Q and a, um, the question was, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I've struggled my entire life to do what God wants me to do, but I really want him to. How do I get victory? And the only answer I could give him was one day at a time, hmm. one step at a time, um, one Bible reading, uh, you know, devotional time at a time, uh, one session of prayer with Christ, uh, with God at a time, um, one day at a time, move forward one step at a time. Don't let it define you. It doesn't have to. Um, man, a lot I could say there. It's, it's crazy. Brokenness is crazy. Um, it, it's like the uh, emotional equivalent to that television show Hoarders. Like you can't talk people out of their house, even yeah. though it's a mess and they know it's a mess. Why? Because that's their identity. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of us, there are a lot of us that we know it's a mess. We know it's a problem, but we want to hang on to it because that's our identity. Trust that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That in Romans seven you might be saying, "Who will deliver me from this body of death?" But in Romans eight one you can right. know that Christ has the answer and will carry you forward. Amen. And uh, and lean into that. I hope that's a help. Uh, again, that's a short answer to a big question. But one day at a time. Surround yourself with the right people. Get in front of
0: God and let Him carry you forward. So I I need to um I need to push back on something you just said because you said you're talking about brokenness now, Jeremy. But earlier you said. If you're broken, there is no hope. Help help me help me. Are you using the word two different ways, or are you saying I said if you're
1: you're, if if you're disordered, there's no hope. Okay. But I think all of us have experienced brokenness. And you know, there's a positive brokenness before Christ. He breaks us so that he can use us. Yes. There's a brokenness because of trauma. And what often happens is we're broken because of trauma. And we allow a clinical definition or a world who's grappling with this apart from God to say, well, because of that brokenness, you're broken. (laughs) Um, I've been injured, but I'm not dead. And so to identify there is brokenness does not mean that I'm disordered, that there is no hope. There is always hope, but it's found in in Jesus Christ. I mean, Ephesians chapter uh, two, where it talks about being quickened being made alive, being a new creation in Christ because of the grace of God. That's the process we're talking about. And that's the power, frankly, that allows it to happen.
0: That's great. That's great. So the idea of of being broken in order to be filled by Christ and and rebuilt by Christ, as opposed to broken, shattered beyond all repair. That's right. We can do is hope to just sort of manage that brokenness. And and to your
1: point, and I'm glad you said that, there are even Christian communities that love to talk about brokenness. Right, right. brokenness all the time. It's broken, yeah. brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. I had a bad day. I'm broken. I had, you know, whatever. Yeah, brokenness happens, but that is not where God wants us to live at that's all, right. and we don't have to. And so we need to move beyond that and just find victory in Christ and dependence
0: on Him. That's wonderful. Well, J. E. Myers did comment. He said, "I really appreciate this program. You don't know how much it means." Awesome, so, man. That's great. That's good. That's great. Um, Another uh so uh J E, thanks for watching, brother. Glad it's yeah. helpful to you. And um and you know what? I might as well make a quick plug here to those who are listening later on um via audio, because we will put this out on the podcast later today, Lord willing. If you have um feedback on this episode, go ahead and send it over to thethink.institute at gmail.com. I will make sure if you if you do that within the next couple of days, I will send that over to Jeremy. Um I'm sure he'd like to hear from that. Yeah. And if you want to get involved with Mighty Oaks and or if you know someone who might want to, um, you can go to his website or if you want to go through us as well, we'll be happy to, uh, to connect you. Awesome. Um, we did have one more question and uh, that is from, um, it's from Dustin Cooley. So I'll put that up on the screen. Dustin Cooley says this. He says, I'd love to hear a dialogue Uh, Oops, that's not the right one. Here we go. I'd love to hear a dialogue about the mental health treatment stigma within the Christian community. A lot of the Christian counseling stuff I've read often says the mental health symptoms are a sin issue (laughs) and then put the blame on the person with the mental health issue. Of course, most of those books were written 50 years ago. Jeremy, um, we are are running very short on time. So if you could give us sort of a, a, a quick response to this? How do we deal with that stigma? And what's your response?
1: Yeah, I think the last sentence of that is really important. I was raised in the New Counseling era, uh, oh, yeah. where, you know, any mental health issue we have is really a sin problem. Hmm. Um, you know, a good friend of mine is the, um, the executive director of the uh, Biblical Counseling Coalition. Um, other organizations like that, that come from that New Counseling spring um, are dealing with mental health issues and some of the under underlying and other, you know, even organic type of issues. So, uh, that's changing. And I'm, I'm very thankful that it is the foundation is a relationship with Christ, but there are other issues that need to be dealt with. And, and, you know, again, we could talk about that all day too, but, yeah. um, I think even the Christian, uh, I won't say Christian, the biblical counseling community, um, not in an integrated way, but the biblical counseling community is understanding, um, well, there are some medical issues as well that we need to deal with, and there are some ways to do that. So, uh, I would say go back and look at some of those resources again. Some some folks have some good information on
0: that. Okay. Well, that that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Um, what uh, as we begin to wrap up here, what would you say is the future of the um, of the Mighty Oaks Foundation? Where are you guys looking to? To go next, you've got a number of of different uh, locations, but you know, is it more locations? Is it moving into serving new populations? Is it is it more of the same? And just see where the Lord leads. But what does the future hold for Mighty Oaks as you can prognosticate?
1: Well, there are um, there are eighteen million veterans in the United States. Um, then they have family members and you know extended family. There's also the first responder community. So regardless of wars and the rest of it, there will always be folks for us to serve. And so we'll continue to serve that community, but we'll do it uh, Lord willing uh, in a larger way. And we're already looking, you know, what what are we gonna do three years from now? How can we reach more people and how can we communicate that? Um, And so we'll continue to do that. I'll I'll mention this. Um, Our program is entirely free to people that want to attend. We have fun, we do fundraising for that purpose. We also cover travel. So really what we want to do is get the right people, the people who need help, that's the right people. Yeah. to a place where they can get help. And we'll just do that as, as big and, you know, and as big a quantity as we possibly can, as
0: many people as we can. Wow. Praise God. Yes, sir. All right. And uh, one more time, how can people follow your work, get in touch with you and yeah. uh, learn more about Mighty Oaks?
1: Yeah. So the easiest way to find out the, the organization is uh, Mighty Oaks programs.org, our website uh, that has just about everything there, Mighty Oaks programs.org. And uh, if you want to connect with me um, personally, um, I have a blog, jeremystalnecker.com. It's real, real simple. I'm a simple guy. jeremystalnecker.com or use my name on any of the social uh, social platforms. And you can find me there as well. But yeah, would love to connect. Let us know if we can do anything to serve you or people that you care about.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, I put that web web address up on the screen. Definitely go check out jeremystalnecker.com, jeremystalnecke dot com. Just for folks who are listening and uh and need to know how to spell that um jeremy brother this was very encouraging very awesome. helpful I just I want to thank you again for coming on um, oh, I'm glad you. that Gabe connected the two of us and um this is one of those topics that is so crucial to be able to address from the biblical worldview yes. but I am I am such a novice in this area mm-hmm. and so it is so helpful to have you come on with your experience oh, and your know-how thanks for letting me push back a little bit on the the use of the term brother no, sure,
1: man thanks for Thanks for having us on and and talking about it. It's so important. You're right. And very few people will talk about it. So thank you for doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Well, um, just want to give a quick plug. Um, You can partner with the Think Institute and the SedeCase family, that's my family, by going to give.crew.org slash 1018841. We've had some people reach out. At least one person reached out recently who listens to the podcast and uh, wanted to know how she could get uh, connected with um, supporting us. We are Support Raising Missionaries, so definitely check us out there. And we appreciate all of our ministry partners. If you have a question, again, you can get in touch with us at thethink.institute at gmail.com. Also go to thethink.institute slash podcast to access all the back catalog of our Think Institute podcast. Notice I kind of changed the name of the podcast. It was Think Podcast. We changed it to the Think institute podcast just because that's what most people were calling it anyway and i figure why fight it uh, <laughs> we're going to keep our branding consistent so check us out online and look this is not goodbye as we say every week this has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey so um i certainly hope that you found something that was helpful to you i know i certainly did and that's about all we have for you today so until next time i hope it made you think